Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, listeners. Just a quick heads up. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing Notzilla. And in the third and final part of the show, we will be discussing our favourite parts of the film. So this is a spoiler warning. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Listeners, and welcome to episode 51 of Kaiju Curry House, the fortnightly show that gives you a healthy dose of kaiju goodness every other Monday. My name's Paul Williams, and I'm joined by my co host Alex. Along with our special guests from Notzilla, we have Mitch Teamley, the director, and Jeff Bartlidge, the cinematographer. So, welcome, gentlemen, to the Curry House. Thank you. Hello. How are you both today? Excellent. 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 Great. So, you both were involved in Notzilla, a film all about... Uh, no. Uh, Jeff, did you work <laughs> on that film? <laughs> what film? <laughs> Never heard of it. Not Denial. even taking ownership now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we try our best to do some puns here on the podcast, so what I'm going to do is kick off with our fantastic What Have Kaiju Been Up To pun and say, actually, let's go with Mitch. What Have Kaiju Been Up To? Oh boy! Lately, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, you know. I know, I know you've worked some, on a film. Some um, monstrous <laughs> thoughts. Well, I did. I did. I confess. I lied. I did have something to do with this film called Mozilla. Uh, I was uh, PA and uh, brought coffee. Uh, <laughs> crafty. Yeah. Did that experience now put you off kaiju's and you think I've had enough now? I don't. I don't want any more. See, I would like to think that all of the great works of art and the great artists in film distance themselves from popular films when they kind of come out. For example, I see you as an Alien 3 director, Mitch, kind of, no, 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 I'm not happy with the end product. I'm going to distance myself creatively from Notzilla. I don't want any association with it, but that's how I see you. People are going to be sort of thinking about it 20 years on. Notzilla, was it as good as Nothra? Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going. No. <laughs> Shake yourself out. Yeah, I'm gone. I'm gone. <laughs> uh, to, to be fair, we only have one pun on this show, so we're going to have yeah. to really, really scrape the barrel to find new puns. <clears throat> um, so what was it like working on Notzilla? Has that, that taken over your life, Mitch, recently? Uh, well, first of all, the, yes, it's retaken over my life recently. I mean, we shot the film in 2018, 
made the festival circuit with it. It premiered at, uh, at G-Fest in Chicago in 2019, uh, and, uh, and then we hit the festival circuit with it uh, all last year uh, and racked up quite a few awards. It was very gratifying. And, uh, and now, uh, really, we thought it was going to be released theatrically this year, but uh, all the theaters in yeah. the universe closed. <laughs> mm. Uh, and instead of holding off, our production company and distributors said, we think we should just go for it and stream this thing and put it out there in every way that people can find it now. Okay. And the, we're seeing a lot of feedback along the lines of, wow, great timing. I needed this kind of escape. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And has there been any other kind of kaiju goodness that you've been up to? Have you enjoyed any other monster material, Mitch? that I've watched. Mm, yeah, has there been like anything that you've enjoyed that you can recommend to our listeners recently? Uh, not just recently. I mean, in the old classics, I mean, I keep going back to and back to, and I, I, I not only have a love for great monster flicks and stuff like that, but I, I also love great spoofs. I mean, so the first thing that pops into my head is I'm, I'm due to rewatch Young Frankenstein again. Uh, need, to, need to see that as often as possible. Uh, cut my teeth on Mel Brooks and uh, and then later on the Zucker, bro Zucker Brothers and, and what have you. But that's the first thing that popped into my head. Brilliant. Well, unfortunately, Mitch, now that you've been asked the pun question, you have to pass on the question. So you get to ask Jeff, Paul and myself, what have Kaiju been up to? Okay. Jeff, what has Kaiju been up to? Well, I tell you what, I finally got my Blu-ray in of Giant Robot. So I've been ah. watching a lot of those old Johnny Sacco episodes. Ah. And I love, I love the campy stuff. What's funny is when we worked on Godzilla, um, I did a lot of the special effects in the film. And as a cinematographer, I do a lot of the miniature photography and uh, setting up the shots and rear projections and stuff. And it's one thing to do that. It's another thing to watch somebody else's footage doing that and watching those films, you know, uh, Ultraman, um, Gamera, anything like that, that he has an immense amount of practical monster in suit, miniatures, uh, stomping on stuff. Uh, it gives you a whole new um, affinity for what they had to go through because yeah. we did what we could and we probably had, you know, more technology at our disposal than, than they had, of course, back then. But they, of course, had uh, an army of, of uh model makers and such yeah. that we didn't have but it was just <laughs> oh, it kind of gives you a whole new appreciation for that genre of film because you actually get a chance to experience it and then you watch what they did and this was back in the 60s and it's just phenomenal the stuff that they did they pulled it off with primitive equipment so anyway having this um covid experience taking place now gives me extra time so i got a chance to kind of really indulge in some of the older you know ultraman and everything yeah yeah that sounds like an excellent way to spend time and especially because you're getting inspiration for your own work as well. Right, exactly. That's, that's perfect, yeah. Well, Jeff, pass on the question to Paul and myself. What have Kaiju been up to? Paul, what's Kaiju been up to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for throwing that back my way. Not as much as I'd like, unfortunately. I'm, I'm currently in the process of having a kitchen refitted, which has just taken over my whole house um so come on paul you can do better than that for the i know i've got, I've got guests for crying out loud okay well oh, let's say I, I recently visited alex and was kindly gifted some nice uh, artwork that's joe devito who has done a lot of work on kong of skull island uh, so he's done like the graphic novels and and everything he's 
absolutely. We had, had him on recently. He was a fantastic chap, and he was kind enough to send us some artwork, some sketches. So they're going to be framed up in my man cave. <laughs> um, obviously, I've watched Notzilla, which we'll be discussing later on. Uh, I did what see... What you game did we play together when you came over? We what played a couple we play? of kinds oh, of games. Yes, we did. We played, we played um, King of the Monsters. Yes, the SNK uh, game. SNK, that... yeah, the Neo Geo Arcade, like old yeah, school. That was 90s okay. Game. That was it. Was it was fun? It was, was all right. It was, it was it was simple fun. Yeah, pretty. Basic and then we stuff. played Rampage, which our co-host Joe yes. has been raving about. No, um, Primal Rage. Sorry, just to correct. Oh, so no, no, so yes, Primal Rage. Yeah, Primal Rage. And oh, dear me, that was not great. It hasn't aged well. No, it has not aged well. <laughs> no, let's, let's, let's be nice. It just hasn't aged well. The phenomenon of retro goggles definitely can apply, where you think, <laughs> oh, you know this game that I played back in 1994? It was fantastic. And then you play it you know, 20 years later and go, no, it wasn't. It's just that there was nothing better at the time. It's like, oh, won't it be good to play it? No. <laughs> no, it won't be No, good. sir. No. No. Actually, what I have been doing on the, in the few bits of moment I get in the evening. I've been playing through Devil May Cry 5, which borders on Kaiju because it's about killing demons. It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's pretty crazy. I recently drove a motorbike, which then split in two and was used as swords to bash up some, you know, some things from hell. And it's, yeah, it's beautiful and over the top. I mean, you get rated on how well you kill the demons all the way from D as rubbish to triple S, which I think stands for smoking, smooth, sexy or something or other. But, you, you know, it's that type of game. It's crazy. It's a um, spectacled shooter, isn't it? it? Yeah. So that's a nice way to unwind in the evening, just, yeah. just shoot some demons. But I suppose the most exciting thing to happen this week is that the Tremors 7 poster was revealed, wasn't it, oh, Alex? Yes. Uh, sh- Tremors 7, <laughs> Shrieker Island. Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Tre- Tremors Seven. What do you What do Tremors you think? Seven. It's got aquatic shriekers in. Yeah, the artworks are pretty cool for that poster right now. It's yeah. Um, yeah so they're there, and one was there with a, a chainsaw, and the other there was like a, a hatchet or a machete, <laughs> weren't they? It looked. It reminded me a bit of Sharknado territory. <laughs> it looked like it was going. It was going even more camp than before. What, yeah, yeah, jump, jump the graboid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean. Oh, most, most most people, when we talk about Tremors, they say, oh, there's seven. But you two don't actually seem that shocked that this is the seventh film. <laughs> Have you been keeping up to date with the Tremors franchise? Pretty much. I mean, the first one is oh, wow. so phenomenal. <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah, I don't think anyone can dispute. Yeah, Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, absolutely yeah. fantastic for the first one. Good chemistry. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just it, have they got better or worse as time's gone on? <laughs> most, most would say worse, but um, it's... Most? It... <laughs> <laughs> I think the point is, is that... They've all been entertaining. Yeah, a lot of the charm in the later Tremors films is that they're, they're self-referential and self-parodying. Uh, and I don't think that there'd be many people that say, oh, you know what, I prefer Tremors 5 to Tremors 1. I think the point is, is that you kind of, you enjoy them as a genre to themselves because there's that many of them. It's a bit like kind of weighing up which Police Academy film is the best one. It's, well, there's, there's that, you know, yeah, yeah. to kind of compare it for something silly. It's, there's that many of them and they're that preposterous. It's, well, you know, you know what you're getting with them. They're harmless and they're, they're silly. Yeah. Do you guys know if Phil Tippett is still doing the effects for that film? Not that I'm aware of. And Phil Tibbet has been someone that I have been uh, stalking, so, sorry, looking for on the internet <laughs> for avenues to kind of have him on the show because, as I understand it, he was the chap who did the special effects for Willow 
and I thought, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that a lot more people would say yes, and the Tontons in, um, you know, in Empire Strikes oh, Fight yeah. Back, which right. is slightly more famous than Willow. But I think because my, my love is for kind of more, more modest, kind of um, fantastical films, I, I have a real kind of soft spot for Willow. And when that sort of worm two-headed thing kind of came up, I was like, whoa, who did yeah. that? And yet that, that was Phil Tibbet. Um, so I need to look up who's done the special effects for Tremors. That would be an interesting conversation. Yeah, because it's not long to release now. Was it only what, a month and a bit out? It was planned for October. Yeah, it was, October. It was, yeah, it was planned for the the Halloween release. Mm. Excellent. Okay. Um, okay, Alex, I have to ask you. Indeed. What have Kaiju been up to? Um, well, I decided that because I've got the Gamera box set, and I can't just keep shamelessly sharing our episodes with. Um, Matt Frank and James Flower from Arrow. I thought, I can't, I can't just keep plugging out the episode, you know, watch it, watch it, watch it, listen to it. I thought, actually, I do need to kind of look at this camera box set because there's, there's 12 flipping films on this. And I sat down with my daughter, who's five, and I was like, right, you want to watch Gamera? And she was like, no. And I was like, okay, we're watching Gamera then. Good. And uh, I thought, okay, which one do I watch? Because I'm not by any means an expert on the Gamera movies. I, I love Tokusatsu cinema, but like... For me, it's always been kind of Godzilla, really, and uh, more kind of horror stuff. So I thought, ah, which one do I go for? And I picked out Gamera vs. Gauss because Joe has recommended that so highly. And pleased to say that my five-year-old and two-year-old sat pretty much contently for the entire duration and were absolutely mesmerized by it, which is pretty good for their age. And mm -hmm. they were really, really invested in the character of Gamera specifically. And when I kind of spoke to my daughter, so what do you like about him? Well, he's a hero. And she really held on to that. He's a hero. He takes care of kids. He saves kids. Yeah. Gamera, you know, as I, she was like quoting the film, I was always the friend <laughs> to all children. Yes, he is. Well done. And then I tried to kind of replicate that magic. And I played Gamera versus Viraz today. And you know, I don't know how this formula works, but you think, oh, that, that worked well. I'll do that again. So let's watch another Gamera film. I put it on. <laughs> Ten minutes later, I'm bored. What do you want from me? What do you want? It's the same flipping era. You know, it's only one year later. And they're like, oh, it's boring. I'm like, well, it's still got Gamera in. It's still the same bad special effects. So uh, I don't know. I'm a bit dismayed at them. But Gamera versus Gauss worked very nicely. And I do think that it's time that we uh, dive right into Notzilla. So, Mitch and Jeff, how did this film come about? How did it start? Uh, the answer to that is always kind of crazy because, I mean, I, I like to say that Nazilla is the longest gestating dinosaur uh, known to humankind. Uh, the summer that I graduated from high school, my best friend and I wrote a short version uh, of that that the nascent kind of original version of this. It was called Kraga, and it was a really kind of blow for blow uh, spoof of the original Godzilla movie. Uh, and uh, we were gonna shoot it on Super 8. We had it planned. Uh, it would have been terribly politically incorrect now because we lived in a nice <laughs> suburb with no Asian people. So it would have been a bunch of white people with their, uh, their eyes pinned back to look like Asian people. And it would be unwatchable now if we'd ever managed to shoot it. And also they wouldn't have all been actors. But uh, school got in the way, college got in the way. So my second year, I wrote a feature length version of it for my screenwriting class. Uh, the prof 
when he read it as the final project, the prof said, you have to do this. And I agreed. And that was just a few decades ago. <laughs> uh, fast forward way, way, way forward. And uh, uh, back in the uh, late 90s, I think I wrote a, a, a complete rewrite of it. Uh, and yet it was still very much uh, kind of based on that original idea. Pitched it around. It was set up at one point to be done. Uh, a by a boutique division of Warner Brothers Pictures that no longer exists. Uh, they huh. their current film that they were doing at the time that that we were to be the next to follow went grossly over budget and Warner shut them down. <laughs> uh, and uh, so that door closed. Uh, there was another near miss with the uh, producers of the Scary Movie franchise. Uh, we had a we had a champion there. The director of programming wanted to shoot Nazilla instead of the next uh, the next uh, scary movie. I think they were on Scary Movie 143. I <laughs> so yeah, that wouldn't have been a bad idea to shoot something like, different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but they decided to go with a Scary Movie 144, and uh, and so we were back on hold. Then life changed. Life changed. I I left the movie biz. Uh, and uh, relocated my family to old Cincinnati, Ohio, California. Uh, and a uh, few years following that, uh, played the lead role in a feature film for a production company called St. Michael Movies, and uh, became very close friends with uh, the producer, the executive producer of that. And he said, I know that you write and direct films. What have you got? Uh, we actually did a very heavy drama called Healing River, which has also been released this year. Uh, and is doing phenomenally well uh, on Amazon Prime. Uh, and then a year later, uh, after it had started to scoop up lots of awards, Mike said, hey, let's keep this rolling. What do you got next? The thing was, it needed to be put together rather quickly. And uh, so they wanted something that, they, that was ready to roll. And I said, well, I've got a screenplay for this movie, Notzilla. Uh, the only problem was Notzilla was originally going to be shot in Los Angeles, which has a huge casting base, of, of, not surprisingly, uh, hundreds of thousands of actors, many of whom are Asian Americans who could have played all of the Japanese people in this movie that takes place, originally took place in Tokyo. Uh, and, uh, and also Los Angeles has a lot of sites, a lot of uh, settings that could double as uh, Japan, including Little Tokyo in Los Angeles and quite a few other settings. So here in Cincinnati, Ohio, there's just a tiny smattering of professional Asian American actors who would have been able to play even the lead role, much less an entire cast full of people, uh, and the settings issue. And so our executive producer said, find a way to move this story to America. Uh, so it, it took a very quick and uh, kind of like a brainstorming session, came up with the idea of a young paleontologist, a Japanese paleontologist who rec rescues the last surviving egg, the last surviving member of a vanishing species uh, of dinosaur, kaiju dinosaur, giant uh, creature called a Notzillosaurus partiontildon. Uh, and he sneaks away. He, he realizes he's got to leave the country or they'll find him and destroy his precious creature who he's sworn to the dying mother, mother, you know, Mama Nazilla. He's sworn he would save it. And, uh, and so in the process, he, he looks on a map and he finds a city in, or he finds a place in America called Ohio, which in Jap Japanese means hello. 
and it sounds friendly. Uh, so um, he hops on a plane, learns English, still learning English, and uh, flies to America for reasons inexplicable without seeing it. He accidentally flushes the egg down the toilet of the airplane just as they're circling over the Ohio River. The egg drops into the Ohio River, disappears until it is shaken loose by secret nuclear testing being done 500 stories beneath the city of Cincinnati. And that is how our story really begins. Ta-da! And it only took, I won't even say how long, decades, decades for this little monster to hatch. Well, Mitch, we also shot the uh, Point of Concept trailer. Remember about six years or so beforehand? Yes, that's right. It was 2011, actually. Oh. Yeah, uh, Jeff, uh, somebody told me about Jeff. Jeff is, he won't tell you this, but Jeff is one of the most in-demand directors of photography in this whole part of the United States. And he's working constantly. So the, the, the idea that Jeff would do this little freebie with me, this teaser trailer, in order to help kind of raise interest, uh, generate interest in this project in Cincinnati seemed impossible, except turns out Jeff loves this stuff every bit as much as I do. <laughs> and Jeff said, yes, I'm in, I'll find a way. So, <laughs> well, we shot it in one day, uh, and, uh, and then we, we put this teaser trailer together. Uh, I went to G-Fest and read excerpts from the screenplay that year and got a really strong response, found the guy who became our monster creator, Jacob Baker there. Uh, and uh, the teaser trailer generated a lot of interest and that that's where it began. And so Jeff said, when you ever get the funding to do this, I'm in. So again, again, that creature almost came out of its egg. Well, you've led me to my next question then actually. Um, if you don't mind talking about it, how was the film funded? Uh, well, St. Michael Movies uh, has, uh, they fund films partially with the aid of a film incentive program, the state of of Ohio. And in fact, uh, oh, quite a few of the US states have film incentive programs to generate production of films there where they, they give back, uh, they rebate a certain amount of money spent there in the state. Uh, and uh, we were getting down to the wire that particular year for the deadline date for applications. And that's why uh, Mike wanted a project that already existed as a screenplay. We submitted it. Uh, they held off for a year, and the following year, they green-lighted it and said, hey, you're, you're good to go. Using that uh, as kind of guarantee, that's what allows them to secure a bank loan to uh, produce the films. Wonderful. I think we've come to our first break, folks. When we return, we'll be asking some more questions about the creation of this very charming film. Thank you. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? 
I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. You're listening to an episode with Paul, myself, Alex, and our good friends, Mitch Teamley and Jeff Barklidge from the not brand new film, not Zilla, but brand new as far as we're concerned because we've only just heard about it with its UK release. And you can catch that by checking that out on Amazon. I've got a question for either one of you gentlemen. And the question is as follows. This is from my friend, Andrew. With the use of models, i.e. trains, toy soldiers, the doll of Dr. Eugest being held by Notzilla, how much was there an intentional plan from the start in terms of working with the models, or how much was there a budgetary constraint? What choices did you make with the models that you used? How did you decide that? Well, I'll jump in and then let Jeff pick it up from a little more technical side. Um, we knew right up front that we we were dealing with a limited budget, and so we went with a we went with a, a perhaps a little bit broader approach to the teasing and making fun of uh, of the, the whole miniatures thing than we would have if we'd had more of a budget. I mean, all the way back to the very first Godzilla movie in the '50s, they had people and time like we don't have. Toho was actually a huge company even then. And uh, they took their time to get it right. They had one of the world's foremost miniatures experts and a huge crew. Uh, and, you know, they were experimenting, but they, they had the time and they had the people. We didn't have a lot of time. We didn't have a lot of people. We had the typical budget of an indie production. So we went, we, we got broader with and played more with a phone. And a lot of the gags in the movie uh, make fun of the fact that they, uh, the miniatures look like toys. Some of the miniatures are pretty cool. Some of the ones Jeff shot in his own studio and, and brought into the film, but like the doll of Shirley, uh, I, I specifically made sure I asked up front that we get a doll that had red hair to match her hair and a dress to match her dress, but it was a Barbie. And we knew that, and that, we, that was part of the joke. Uh, so, yeah, we, we went with it. We had fun making fun of ourselves as much as anything. Okay. So, I mean, how long did it actually take then to do the special effects shots, so the, the miniature shots? Jeff? Um, it was an interesting process because some of the stuff we shot were multiple layers. So, in other words, you would have an actor that we only had so many days uh, available to us but he might be, or she might be standing in front of a projection that might be a rear projection of a model which we hadn't shot yet. So we had to sit there and go through the whole logistics of what went first and what had to be second, what had to be third. And it got to the point where we ended up uh, using this H.H. Gregg store, which is a very large uh, appliance franchise, I guess, in the United States. And a lot of the stores are closed right now at, at a shopping mall nearby. We ended up using that as our studio. And it was probably a 30,000 square foot giant room. And we got to the point where we had a rear projection stage set up on one side. And then on another side, we had two miniature sets and we had multiple camera units set up. So we could actually say, oh, hey, we need a quick shot of an army tank. We'd run over 30 feet away, set the camera up, turn it on, fire a light up, shoot an army tank, and then shove that footage into a computer and then rear project that on the screen immediately while the actor was in makeup pop them up there and we shot it. And um, wow. for the most part, we could work that way. There were a couple of times we had situations where we had multiple layers that we had to shoot a week or two ahead of time. But we tried to do as much as we can in camera while we had the actors on hand. There were other shots with some of the explosions and some of the missiles taking off and such that I just shot in my garage. 
after the shoot was over. And, uh, you know, as, yeah, as anything, yeah, my studio, <laughs> right. <laughs> and as anything goes, you know, during the edit process, you always find that you have missed shots or you need an extra shot of a hand on a doorknob and all that junk. So, you know, I, we end up shooting for another couple of days, maybe a month or so after principal photography ended. Um, and then like the eggs floating at the very end of the film, which I still happen to have in my basement right now, Mitch. <laughs> They're sitting in a box. <laughs> we threw them in my fish pond and we shot it there. So it was kind of a combination of having like three and a half weeks of principal photography and maybe another week of, um, you know, pickup shots and effects. Yeah, we also storyboarded the uh, the layered stuff so that we would know as much as possible. Like like Jeff said, sometimes we still didn't didn't pre-plan it exactly the way it turned out. But uh, we would know, so we need to shoot the miniatures, then we need to put the actors in the shot, then we need to rear project that with those two layers behind Nazilla or with Nazilla and then the actors in front of Nazilla and the layer with the, the miniatures and so on. So we'd, we'd label them, you know, if the scene was 36, it would be 36 one, 36 two, 36 three. And we knew the order we had to shoot them in. Oh, okay, well it all came together nicely. I have a question from one of our members on the UK Kaiju fans group, and his name is Connor. And Connor has asked, in all seriousness, um, because his first joke was, when can we expect Notzilla versus Nothra? And <laughs> the, the question is, what was the most difficult scene to film and what learning experiences were gained from making of this film? Jeff, what, do you, what comes to your mind? Okay, I think there's two difficult scenes. I, the reason I'd say that is based on what they are, uh, what the basics are. I think the most difficult live action scene that we shot where the scenes inside the laboratory um, when we had the explosion. You know, we had all the, the whole science uh, set up at Shepherd's Lab, and I don't know what that scene was called exactly, but that was a tough scene because we had all the principal actors, and we had a room that was converted from like a machine shop into a scientific laboratory, and the production designer did a fabulous job on that, but we had to shoot that so fast just because we had limited time. I think that was a complicated scene that was hard to do live action-wise. For me, the most difficult thing to shoot effects-wise would have probably been when Tiffany, and again, I forget her name, her character name, when she's picked up in the Fay Ray scene. Oh, right, uh, yeah. Yeah, so what we did was Mitch had this drawing of, you know, it was basically just based off the original Willis O'Brien 1933 Kong film where our actress is picked up and, and picked up into the air and she actually has to talk to the monster. And for that, I scratched my head. I thought, how the hell are we going to do this? We don't have a giant hand like you normally have for any kind of Kong film or any kind of, you know, uh, like maybe giant robot. They don't have that giant hand model that the actors can climb inside. So what we did was I took a sauna tube, which is a cardboard tube used to pour concrete in for parking stops. It's approximately a foot in diameter and four feet long. And I sprayed about 20 bottles of spray foam on it. And I made this giant thumb, which is in my attic right now. And uh, <laughs> we, we stuck that on a C-stand and we had the actress stand behind it and she could lay upon it and put her arms acro up across it. So actually, when you look at it from the camera perspective, she's actually laying against this giant thumb. But what do we put behind her? So what we did was we had shot a bunch of background plates a month before of just generic city stuff. We rear projected that onto the screen. I took a camera with a loose head and I just spun around back and forth, around and around and around for like 30 seconds. We looped that. And then we projected that and we took the monster's hand, the glove itself that was in the suit, and we put that in front of the screen and we pinned the thumb back so the thumb wasn't seen. And I reshot that just with the background moving, but the, but the hand in uh, 
parallel to the camera and static. Then we took that and we rear projected that again. So and an enlargement. So it looked like she's standing in front of this giant hand, which are the you know four fingers, and then we had the thumb in front of it. And then we had Tiffany stand there, the actress, and we put a fan on her head, blew her hair around a little bit, lit it so that the lights move a slight bit, so it looks like she's actually moving, and we shot that whole thing in the studio. So it took like multiple layers, and we did it right then and there, but it was just one of those things that was kind of complicated, and we had to kind of think on our feet fast to figure out what to do and how to do that, it. That was one of those things I couldn't storyboard. I, I told you. I, you know, I scripted it because I wanted it so bad, uh, and I didn't know how we would pull it off. And and I just tossed the ball in Jeff's court and said, "Find a way to make this happen." And Jeff did, and it's brilliant. Uh, when when we finally shot the last layer with Tiffany in front, looking at it coming together on the monitor, I think I tears formed in my eyes, uh, tears of laughter too. It, and Tiffany was brilliant. She's already won a couple of Best Actress awards uh, for her work in the film, and she just between her and the layers Jeff created, uh, the shot was so worth it. So <clears> worth it. Were there any more questions from yourself, Paul, before I um, jump in one more? Joe, I was going to ask um, what happened to all the models, but it sounds like Jeff's just keeping them uh, around his house. He's at him. Well, so. I own some. <laughs> I, I have baby Godzilla in my office. Uh, so we, we share. Well, we share the toys. <laughs> There was yeah. a really cruddy lunchtime TV show that my parents still watch to this day, but I think it's reruns. It was called Cash in the Attic. Can you remember that, Paul? It rings a bell, yeah. And you basically have kind of antique uh, dealers have a look around your uh, attic and go, oh, look at this. I reckon we could sell this on some kind of um, auction. And then you'd have people kind of go, oh, I wasn't expecting to get £45 for that. That was definitely worth making an absolute fool of myself on lunchtime television. Oh, and there's another £15 for a lamp. Yes, Brilliant. That was definitely worth it. And that's what I'm kind of thinking. There'll be some kind of kaiju-esque kind of props in the attic uh, down the line. I think, yeah, that, that's Absolutely. my idea. And hey, we're gonna, we're gonna you never know. It. I mean, years ago, before, right when people were just starting to realize the, the value of uh, movie memorabilia, uh, uh, the 20th century... Fox Studios uh, was selling off a bunch of its property and a bunch of its costumes and props and things. And they were bought, a bunch of them were scooped up by somebody who tried to create an on-the-road traveling museum of like the golden era of Hollywood. And they had tractor trailers uh, that were walk-through museum exhibits. And they had a couple pairs of the ruby slippers from Wizard of Oz. They had the 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 green drapery dress that Scarlett O'Hara wears in Wizard of Oz. But I walked through and I stopped dead in my tracks. They had the time machine from the time machine. Oh, and wow. I was single and broke and they wanted $1,200 for it. $1,200 for the time machine. And I, I thought maybe I started making phone calls trying to borrow. I could have had that in my living room. <laughs> uh, and now I'm sure now the guy that owns it probably wouldn't sell it for 120000 you know. Uh, now people know what these things are worth. So the thumb yeah. from Notzilla, just right up front, I want to say, I get first bid. Oh, yeah, I think that's fair because um, my, my cousin who does a lot of um, prop curation, he's told me that 
there was a time when kind of if you knew someone they could put you in touch with a different person through messenger or you know yellow pages and they could go well there's this prop from the bbc you know we really we need rid of it because people have been tripping over it for a couple of years now can you give us 150 quid for it you know drive over and get it but it's 150 quid to you i'll tell you what 130 however with kind of the rise of ebay obviously the way things are being sold off now is very different and actually there's a lot of kind of high profile businessmen who near enough kind of pull uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of, you know, um, top men, you know, buying bulk items of props and just store them in boxes in kind of warehouses, which I can understand why they're doing it. But the trouble is, A, those items barely ever get seen. And the other one is that the trouble is these bigger businessmen kind of price, kind of collectors out of the market because they go, ah, I'll give you a thousand quid. You know, yeah. and then that's sold, which is a bit sad, really. But one of the questions that I've got from Julia, um, she says, what is their history, uh, there being uh, Jeff and Mitch, what is your history with the original Japanese genre? Now, I know you've already talked about that a little bit, but to elaborate, are you fans of that genre? I'm presuming you are, but to elaborate again further, it feels that they're taking a genre that they love so much, magnifying the flaws, and yet turning it in a way that kind of picks out the tropes and makes it hilariously absurd. Does that sound like a fair description? Sure, yeah, yeah. Jeff, you want to jump in? Wow, you know, um, that pretty much hits the nail on the head. I mean, I love like um, Destroy All Monsters. To me, that's one of the best of the best just because it's so campy and it's so crazy and they have they destroy so much stuff and they're on that goofy island, you know, with the crazy, you know, what is it like... Uh, force field and all that stuff. It's just, just wild. So it was great to see when Mitch had this, this project come up and he wanted to take those elements and he wanted to embellish them. I thought, man, this is, this is going to be really fun. So yeah, I've been a huge, huge fan of anything, anything that has miniatures, you know, whether it's Harryhausen or whether it's, it's, it's Godzilla, just something that's charming about watching some guy in a suit, just stomp the living crap out of a model (laughs) building. You know, and as a kid, we used to build little, you know, O scale model buildings, plastic, plastic uh, ville, I think they call them. And we used to stomp on them. I'd shoot it with my Super 8 camera and stuff. So, you know, it, it's really fun. And I'm glad Mitch did this. And I'm glad he pushed the envelope in that direction. And you have a Ray Harryhausen story for us, Jeff, don't you? I do. Um, uh, sorry, one second. That's the clock chiming there. It's seven it's o'clock. It's two o'clock here in the <laughs> it's States. It's two o'clock. Oh. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you the story really quick. Um, I was on a shoot for uh, Goodyear Tires in the, in England, and we were all over Dover, and we were in London. And uh, I was going to be off for a couple of days um, between between the, the projects. And I wanted to meet Harry House, and I knew he lived there. And uh, I looked him up in a phone book in a pub in London, and I found him, and I called him up on the phone, and I just said, me, I come over, sir? And he said, come on over. And I thought he would have a British accent, actually, because he's been there since, like, the 70s, I think, since he did Guanji. But anyway, um, he was very nice. I got a chance to meet him and his wife, and his wife hung out for a few minutes mm-hmm. to make sure I wasn't some nut job, and she didn't want to leave me, leave her husband with me, but she took off, went to the store, and uh, he was very nice, took me upstairs to his office where he showed me his storyboards, his charcoal drawings. He rendered everything in in one-to-one real scale as far as um, you know what the miniatures would be and he had breakdowns for all the different armatures and stuff everything was in a big glass display case but a lot of the models were gone to Munich for some other 
uh, thing going on there. And uh, I saw his cameras in the basement and such as old Mitchell cameras that came from RKO Studios. And when uh, it came time for my cab to pick me up, uh, we both went outside. He was saying goodbye to me when the wind blew his front door shut and we were both locked outside for about 20 minutes until his <laughs> wife came. And uh, the cabbie hung out, which was kind of cool. And then when she let him in, I hopped in the cab and went to Dover. Uh, and I, as I mentioned earlier, before you started recording, um, I, I will eternally be jealous that Jeff got to, because Ray Harryhausen was one of my heroes growing up. Uh, I still, I mean, I dreamed, uh, I, I think that, uh, I, I think that those, those battling uh, uh, skeletons from the dead made from the Hydra's teeth in Jason and the Argonauts just haunted my dreams for years. And, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that had an impact on my desire to become a filmmaker. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I love that, I love that fight scene as well. It's, it just stands out, doesn't it? It's, and it still holds up today. It's, yeah. Yeah, everything about it is just amazing. Uh, and as far as uh, kaiju movies go, um, the, the kaiju movies aren't something I watch on a regular basis anymore, uh, though I did a, just a ton when I was younger. Uh, um, I lived in a suburban... Uh, uh, a suburb of Los Angeles, and uh, they had a Saturday matinee. They would play a double bill every Saturday. And even though uh, all the, the Toho movies had made it to television by now, this was a chance to see them in Toho scope and Toho color uh, <laughs> on a big screen and to see two of them. And so we'd sit there, we'd stop at the, the local drugstore and buy a great big jug of root beer and we'd string the straws together. So, you know, how you can make a long strain and we put the jug, we'd sneak it in and we put it on the floor between us. We have two long strings of straws going up to our mouth so we could keep our eyes on the movie and just suck root beer up this, you know, and watched all the, just all these great versus movies and, and, uh, I still remember even the, the non-monster ones, Mysterians. I love the Mysterians, yeah. and uh, uh, and and I just they were just really part of my they burned into my memory. Uh, they they were so special to me. Uh, and then somewhere along the line, when I was a pre-teenager or a young teen, I remember noticing uh, one of the weaker moments in the in the the uh, the miniatures because most of the miniatures were pretty pretty freaking impressive, but uh, there was a jeep moving across the set and I could see the string pulling it and I laughed and I thought I'm going to do something with that someday <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold we've got a shot yeah. in Godzilla with a jeep, jeep being pulled on set by a string uh, so there is this deep deep affection for all these movies even uh, my bachelor party uh, the the, knowing my my love of the Godzilla genre, of the kaiju genre, and all that, uh, all the guys, we went to a pub, British style pub, and then we went to see uh, Godzilla or a Godzilla 19 whatever it was. It was it was one of the last ones released theatrically in the U.S. Uh, and uh, so you know, it's just I've grown up with these guys. They're they're family, you know. It's been part of your life by the sounds of it through various points, Mitch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Before we take our second break, I have one more question from Julia, um, who's one of our members, and she says, just to kind of offer some ideas for a follow-up film, if Nothra does not take your fancy, have you considered No Dan rather than Rodan? <laughs> and on that... Well, you know, it, that's possible. I've got an idea. If we do do a sequel, say, all I've got is a few notes scribbled for something called Notzilla versus Sequela. Uh, oh. And it's a, it's a creature that makes everything happen again the same way it's happened before. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what he looks like. I think what he looks like more constantly changes, but... So we can steal from lots of stuff. Actually, yeah, so that's a good way of doing it. Monsters, yeah. Maybe yeah, we'll do like the Monster Island thing and, you know. Brilliant. Yeah, a Monster Island with just one monster. It just morphs and, yeah, it just is yeah. the same one. Well, there's, like also a, there's also a secret reveal in Notzilla that Jeff, that Jeff mentioned indirectly a little while ago when he was talking about the eggs. Uh, there may be more than one. And it's time for our second break, folks. Thank you very much. Hey listeners, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We'd love to hear your feedback. Please tweet us at Curry Kaiju or join the Facebook group Kaiju Curry House and let us know your thoughts. Thanks and back to the show. Hey, and welcome back to Kaiju Curry House. It's Mitch Teamley acting as though we were not an American. I'm convinced well to be fair, yeah. <laughs> Just a reminder, folks, that we are going to be talking about some of our favourite moments and therefore it will be spoiler heavy if you didn't catch the start where Paul mentioned that. Um, favourite moments from the film. I'm going to jump right in and say that the silhouettes of the people on the train track was wonderful because as I saw Notzilla kind of reach down for those paper silhouettes, I thought, oh, oh. Good grief. And then actual real people fell. I was like, no, no, okay, yes, you win this round. That, uh, that's good. But then it got sillier and sillier. And that's one of the things that I liked about the film because it takes a joke and it milks the joke for all that it's worth beyond kind of uh, all plausibility, which I, I particularly enjoyed. What was your favorite moment, Paul? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, the bit that you just said did have us in stitches. Um, it's probably something, the bit that I think got me more were things that I found when I was watching them. So like uh, Mitch, you said earlier about the, you'd see a string pulling a Jeep along and you, you wanted that in there. So when I watched Godzilla films, I always thought, how do all the military manage to miss this giant creature? And you do the scene <laughs> where they're all firing and he's kind of dancing around, just avoiding them with ease. Yeah. I'll just think I'll th I'll think that's, that's exactly nailed what I would do. If, if, I, were, you know, if I was going to do a parody, that is spot on <laughs> to that. Absolutely. Um, and then we did mention about the um, mime. I said mime, mime the field. And that reminded me of like the um, the old like, um, space balls. Like, um, oh, yeah. Is it like comb the desert? They've jammed our radar. You know, it's that <laughs> kind. Of, and I just, oh, yeah. Things like that just had me going. It's fantastic. Um, I imagine you had, because you've been working on this, as you said, for, well, quite a while, you've probably gone through quite a few jokes. Were there any that you couldn't fit into the film because of the change of location or change in scripts? Uh, well, the original, the original first version of the story, which uh, I think we talked about this before you started recording, actually took place in Japan. Yeah. It's much more of a direct spoof. It's not really a direct spoof of any one of the kaiju movies now. It just uses, uh, as Alex said, it uses tropes 
from the yeah. genre. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the power lines scene <laughs> and uh, uh, the train, the, mm. you know, the, which are not just from Godzilla, the original, but, but even from movies before that, uh, the Western monster movies as well. But uh, the, the ver earlier version had some scenes that were more a direct thing. And so uh, we had, we were making uh, fun of the American a lot of the, actually the hero in the earlier version had a lot of really funny stuff I had to throw away uh, oh. be because uh, when we rewrote the story, it changed the dynamic. He was in Japan and uh, he would, uh, he would say some incredibly rude, inappropriate things to the Japanese people, thinking he was superior, and he was a total, <laughs> a, a total idiot. Uh, and you know, and by the ending of the movie, uh, you were rooting. He was supposed to be the hero, but by the end of the movie, you were rooting for the monster instead of him. And he had this, accidentally turned this death ray on himself, and had this dramatic death scene. And we had this running bit that some of the lines in the movie were really the actor who was just like the character he was playing, uh, who really deserved to die anyway. And the, the kind of the backstory was that the actor, when he shot the movie, actually did manage to kill himself. And they captured it and went ahead and released the film with that scene. And the death scene was very funny. So some of that stuff is not, it didn't make it into yeah. ours because our hero's a good guy from Japan now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I missed some of those bits. Okay, and was it um, was it all scripted, or were you know did the actors any just kind of just go a bit and fling out something that was you know that stuck instead? Not in the in the sense of improvised dialogue. Uh, there's nothing really much in the way of improvised dialogue. There's those that uh, that little bits of business that actors do. Uh, Tim Bench, who plays our uh, bad guy. Uh, uh, in this is uh, just, Tim is such a funny guy. Uh, and uh, we had rehearsals uh, because we knew we had a short shooting time. So the week before we started shooting, I rehearsed uh, my lead actors. Uh, and uh, Tim started to really get the spirit of things and a lot of stuff came out of those rehearsals that were like okay. little discoveries we made together. And it was like, yes, yes, <laughs> keep that in when we shoot this. Okay, cool. Um, so sorry, I, I did kind of divert the question there. Do you have a favourite scene in the film, Mitch? Oh, <laughs> do I have a favourite scene? Uh, I I had a lot of fun with uh, uh, the little quips and quotes and, and uh, in the, the cafe scenes. There's two major cafe scenes in Gus's Chili Parlor. Uh, and uh, again, those are just really fun. The, the interplay between the actors, uh, be, between our, uh, our actor playing our hero, Hiro, uh, Hiro Honda, uh, yeah. and uh, uh, Dr. Richard Blowhart, and the long-suffering assistant who really has a, a PhD in physics and knows infinitely more than he does, but it is his assistant because girls can't be scientists. That's in 1962. Uh, and the, the interplay between them and then uh, Pearl Stringer, the uh, the reporter in disguise as a yeah. waitress. And Loved her. throughout the movie in disguises various things to get the scoop. Uh, the interplay between them, partly the scripting, I was really proud of a lot of little quippy dialogue. The stuff that you, they're just quick throwaways, you know, and 
Hero Honda uh, says uh, that if the monster is exposed uh, exposed to alcohol, uh, uh, parts of him become very bulbous. And uh, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Blowhart says, funny, the opposite thing happens to me. You know, there's little lines like that that yeah. <laughs> um, that uh, just are, are really fun. And I like the fact that they're quick and they're thrown away. That, you know, we've had a lot of people say, oh, I like watching this like two, three more times to catch all the little lines I missed the first time, you know. So those were, it was really fun writing the quips and going back. And I had another quip. And so the next draft, I throw another quip in, you know, and, um, and stuff like that. The, the sight gags, I'm very proud of. I, the ones that you guys mentioned were, I, I love the, uh, I love the high power lines uh, sequence. Uh, specifically, had our composer Steve uh, Goers, who's a phenomenal composer, uh, break into like American college football music uh, as he runs the touchdown with the blimp that he takes out yeah. and spikes it and has his victory dance. And uh, so that was really a lot of fun. Oh, fantastic! And how about you, Jeff? Do you have a favorite scene in the film? I like the scenes where Shirley Gurley and um, Hero are in her apartment. You know, the building, the, the, oh. the budding romance scenes. Oh, they yeah. They just go hog wild kissing and the lipsticks roll over their face and stuff. That, that's a funny scene, I think. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. Oh, excellent stuff. Right. Well, um, Jeff, you've been working on a lot more than not Zilla. I believe you said you work on some Hallmark films. So is there anything in particular that's coming out soon that you'd like to plug and um, talk about? Well, there's a film, a non-Hallmark film I did. I worked on a second unit DP on uh, called um, The Big Ugly, which is just now coming out. And it's got Ron Perlman and Malcolm McDowell in it. And, okay. um, and, and Benny, um, Benny, Benny Jones. Oh, yeah. Benny Jones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I talked to him one day on set and I said, I wish I could get you to record my outgoing message on my answering machine for voice. Uh, <laughs> he wouldn't do that, but it, that was pretty wild. Um, and then I did second, you know, a movie called Dark Waters um, with Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway. It's about the DuPont thing. Uh, it's kind of a dark film. This true story. Great, great film. You know, I haven't seen it yet. Oh. So I, oh. I need to see it. <laughs> but uh, it really is. It was one of the best films released last year. Oh. Uh, the script is scary as heck when you read that to see what they really yeah. did. And then I work on Hallmark films, uh, mostly Christmas movies. Um, I did one with Mariah Carey a year before we did Godzilla, and that comes out every year again. And I just did another one that hopefully will come out sometime next year. But, uh, you know, they're all just, you know, it's just a formula. It's just they just stick a different actor in to play the different, the same, same role again and again and again. But, uh, but that's what people like, as, isn't it? Godzilla. Oh, they love it. There's a huge. It's, it's, yeah, it's like a comfort food almost, isn't it? It's this feel good <laughs> exactly. film. That you, yeah. High carb, yeah. high carbs. <laughs> yeah. My wife watches some of them and she's got this sophisticated taste and I, I, I've never quite gotten it. And I've asked her and she says, I, she says, I don't know. They're stupid, but I watch them anyway. Uh, there's something it's kind of there's a there's a certain visual crack element or something to them <laughs> yeah well, we got to do another one mitch we got to do another another not monster <laughs> yeah yeah you know not monster island or something or other <laughs> oh yeah i totally love to do the monster island and uh and just find out what happens monster. with those possible brothers and sisters of our of our creatures so and we have to bring the peanuts back those two little tiny girls we have to bring those back to <laughs> crazy song <laughs> the little singing twins oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Oh yeah, we yeah we love the swing, singing t- twins. That's just um, yeah part of the form, isn't actually, it? I had a bit. Uh, <laughs> I had a bit uh, that was that I ended up not including. That was in the Japanese version of the film when it took place in Japan, and I had a bit with the singing twins. Ah, again, okay. Again, you know, even though I was making fun of it, it was a spoof. There's also the risk that it would have been seen as a form of plagiarism by Toho. So no. another reason for not doing, ah. for not doing anything that was really directly uh, making fun of or any specific elements in Toho movies uh, was to distance ourselves from that and create an American kaiju story, basically a story set here with American characters, except for Hiro Honda. Uh, who, there was a there's a nod there's a reference with his being a paleontologist uh, way back at the, the very beginning of the Godzilla genre but uh, but uh, so yeah we had the singing twins and I had them doing a hit video uh, that played during the the end credits uh, singing a song called Go Go Notzilla Monster uh, which <laughs> I, I, I did really have a lot of fun with the uh, the 19, early 60s music that we created for the the end crawl the the uh, the song recorded by Bobby and the Bleach Boys, uh, Dino Surfin, uh, and uh, and uh, the dance tune. Because in the early 60s, there were all these tunes that came out that were, were dance songs. And they even told you in the lyrics how to do them, the steps to do. Uh, and so, you know, uh, do the Notzilla and all this kind of stuff, you know. So, But the twins originally sang do the Notzilla. It just got transferred. Okay. Yeah, you do bring up an interesting point, actually, about Toho, you know, they might um, not be too happy if you have two singing twins. When you were making this film, was there anything or how how careful do you have to be that Toho aren't going to, I don't know what they would actually do, but I, I take it they would make you change the film once they saw it, if, it, if it had sank in. Did you have to speak to anyone about that or did you just always do something that you made sure wasn't close enough? We were, know, uh, I mean, we were pretty mindful from the very start, even uh, from the scripting stage, I was really mindful uh, to, uh, to not do anything that we thought would be a red flag for them. Our monster is not based on Godzilla. He's a, uh, He's a, a dinosaur-based creature, uh, and he's got the kind of big forearms because there's a guy inside that suit, you know. But he's not based on Godzilla. He's his own creature, and of course, he's also uh, he's like a week old during most of the story. He's newborn, and so he's got the big goggly, innocent eyes and the cute little baby buck teeth in front, and uh, doesn't have all of his teeth. And and he's uh, uh, you know he's not. He's not Godzilla or any of the other Toho characters. Uh, and uh, like I said, while the, the different, some of the gags with the train and the power lines and things yeah. are, are tropes. They're not tropes specifically of Toho movies. Those were used in other other films too. So we're, we're also, there's a degree to which we were, we went for the idea that we are, yes, we're making fun of kaiju movies, but we're also having fun making fun of uh, other movies just of that era, and there's a lot of references to the to cultural things in America uh, in the early '60s. Absolutely, yeah. So as you say, you're, you're making fun, yeah, of of the whole whole way films were made then, and and the tropes of that, rather than directly making fun of a Toho product. It's only exactly. I suppose potentially the word Zilla that could have caused some problem, but clearly it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to say one thing real quick. Um, when Mitch hit on a subject there, when he mentioned Toho Scope, 
Toho Scope is actually an anamorphic format that, that Toho came up with. I mean, back in the 60s, everybody was starting to try to get away from, you know, square movies, and they were trying to make things that looked different than television, so they wanted to introduce anamorphic cinemascope, cinerama, all that stuff to bring the audiences back to theaters. So uh, uh, Cinemascope came out in the United States, and Toho Scope came out in Japan. So based on this whole thing with Toho, Toho always really pushed Toho Scope. When you see the names of the movies, it'll say Toho, then it'll say shot in Toho Scope, you know, yeah, and in Toho yeah. Color. You know, it's just this, it's this fun <laughs> thing that's kind of yeah. like an homage to that. So I actually have some really uh, ancient, and I mean ancient in regards to 60-year-old um, uh, Lomo, which are Russian anamorphic lenses, and that's what we used on, on Notzilla. So we actually shot the thing in an anamorphic cinemascope. Yeah. So it, but it, just to interject something for the non-techies here, anamorphic is a lens that squeezes a wide image onto standard 35 millimeter uh, film so that it can be then unsqueezed anamorphically opened back up uh, when, it's, when it's projected. Uh, so the projector widens it back out and gives you that widescreen look again. It, it allowed them to use the same cameras they shot conventional 35 millimeter film with back then. Uh, without having really expensive, heavy, uh, difficult to work with cameras that, that had special built-in lenses or anything. Exactly. So we kind of went with that whole thing to kind of keep it in that same feel. So the, the way we lit it, the way we shot it, you know, we tried to keep it so it looked as genuine as possible to something that was originally created in the 60s. Yeah, techie, uh, you know, people who aren't into uh, uh, in necessarily the history of uh, film or, or uh, cameras and things back then, uh, probably wouldn't know this stuff. They wouldn't say, oh, that they must have used an anamorphic lens, or oh, they must be mimicking uh, Technicolor or Toho color, but they would feel it. They would say, this looks like a 1962 yeah. movie, and that's what we want. Okay. Yeah, so I'm one of those non-techie people where I know it, I used to watch TV, it was square, and, and then it yeah. changed, everything changed to widescreen. And it's always strange when we watch, um, like my kids love Simpsons, and we'll watch an early season, and they're a bit confused because it's not taking up the full screen. <laughs> and it's like, why is, why is the image square like that? Yeah. That's, how, that's how it was in my day. It's, um... Yeah, I think, I think if it wasn't for Doctor Who, Simpsons might have the record for duration. <laughs> of course, yeah. Simpsons has just been never-ending, though, is it? Always... Oh, no. <laughs> Eternal, yeah. <laughs> right, okay, well, thank you, gentlemen. I think that's wrapped up our fantastic Notzilla interview. But us custom here at the Curry House, we'd like to suggest something to our listeners, something that we've either found out recently or something that we have an affection for. But anything that you would like to suggest they check out. So um, I'll start off and I'll say in the vein of Notzilla, if you like to watch a less serious creature feature, there's a film called, um, called Grabbers out. So not, not Graboids like Tremors, it's Grabbers and they invade a Irish town. And basically, without, I don't want to spoil it, but the creatures are, I don't say allergic, but they, they, they can't bite you if you've been drinking. And so in order to stay alive, the townspeople have to get very, very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And yeah, we've, we've not still obviously growing with beer and... yeah. I just thought that's, um, that pretty much hits the nail on the head there, yeah. So how do you survive against an alien invasion? You get drunk. 
Fantastic, yeah. So that's I think that's on Netflix and things like that. But that's that's Grabbers from I think it's 2012. So definitely give that a, a check out. Uh, Mitch, uh, is there anything that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Oh, I don't know. With the with the you know the the interruption and the flow of uh, of uh, movies, uh, you know that one thing that we just finished watching the last season of recently, my wife and I, that just got better and better uh, with with each season was Umbrella Academy. Uh, oh, yeah. Really, really enjoyed that. Uh, I love the fact that not only did their budget go up, and so the, their, you know, their ability to pull off kind of spectacular theatrical release level studio effects uh, went up uh, as the scene, but also the development of the characters really uh, in, improved and increased. And you, you got to really know them and, and, uh, and understand, you know, because the best storylines are storylines where there's no distinction between the plot and the characters. It's all one. The plot happens because of who they are and how they interact. And, and it really did a good job. So, yeah, that's been one of the more satisfying things we've seen uh, recently. Um, anxious, we just, just subscribed to Disney Plus, and I'm really anxious to see The Mandalorian. Um, and I have to put in a plug for a movie that is not the least bit escapist. It's it's gritty, realistic drama, but it was the last film I made before <laughs> Nazilla. Healing River uh, is, uh, it's not outside of, the, of North America yet, but it should be coming to Amazon UK in another month or so, as well as other countries. Uh, Healing River has been uh, just really, really well, uh, well re uh, received by people. We have uh, this growing number of people. It's doing something that almost never happens. Every week, the percentage of people watching the movie doubles. Uh, and wow. we're getting the feedback. Amazon is starting to recommend it to people more and more because they're, they're, they, the, uh, um, the, the computers are very happy with the way it's performing. <laughs> And uh, so they're recommending it to more and more people. So for those who want to see something in a much more earthy, uh, painful, real life, but very inspiring vein, uh, Healing River, it's a story of a woman whose son is killed by an, a drug addicted runaway teenager. Uh, and who it's a story of the journey of forgiveness. And uh, it takes turns that nobody sees coming. Okay, we'll check that out. And then, Jeff, is there anything you would like to plug or um, suggest to our listeners? Well, something that's non-monster related would be The Boys. Have you seen that film about the superheroes? The Boys, that's an uh, Amazon a series? TV series, isn't it? Yes, yeah. with um, Carl Urban and um, some, yeah. Exactly. I know that they were, we were up in Toronto shooting right when the uh, virus hit, and the stage next door to us was where they were shooting The Boys. And I talked to one of the grips, and he said that they had just finished the season like that day uh, for principal oh. photography. So it, mm. this was back in March. So I think that they're going to at least have it through post-production and hopefully they'll be out, you know, again for season two in a week or two. I really look forward to that. And then of yeah. course, Peaky, Bl Peaky Blinders, I, you know, I got it. That's <laughs> such a great show. I know the DP on that and I can't wait for that to come back. But I think from a fantasy standpoint that you had brought this up before, um, Tremors, Tremors 7. Uh, I think is uh, at least being announced and hopefully it'll soon be out. That film, the whole, the whole genre of that, of that franchise is incredible. And uh, it's great to see how it's grown and, and morphed and so forth. So I'm really looking forward to that. 
Uh, it's always nice to have another Tremors fan on the show because <laughs> yes. the other two just make fun of me on here because I've enjoyed them all. I mean, I know some of them aren't the best, but they've always been entertaining for me. So Absolutely. Yeah. And I can sit through those more than I can sit through Sharknado. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the Leprechaun series, but the, anyway. <laughs> I just watched um, Leprechaun last night, actually. I haven't oh, seen any of them before. I just watched the first one, yeah, last night. I have um, never was... seen them. They're legendary, but that, that's it. They're legendary, and all I all I remember, well, all I knew was um, Wayne's World, where um, <laughs> Wayne was going to go. I'm the Leprechaun, <laughs> and so that's that's all we that's all I knew. So um, then it had Jennifer Aniston in it. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I finally got to watch it because it feels like that's a bit of like pop culture history that I just hadn't got yeah. around to seeing. And yeah. on Amazon Prime, it had I think all six or seven of them on there. I don't, I can't remember how many there were. There's quite a few. I don't know if that got any better or worse with age. <laughs> I think it, I think they have the Probably same creepy guy playing the leprechaun, but uh, yes, it's um Warwick Davis from Willow. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's Willow, isn't it? It's Willow, yeah, yeah Willow's there. So. He, just, huh. he just passed away yeah. or something. So uh, I well, think he just passed. Away. I think so. Somebody oh, I just passed away. He's about twenty he's miles away from me, so I'll have to uh, go check on him. Do I have to Is ask it? him? <laughs> yeah, I'll just have to. <laughs> <laughs> And he can he can say uh, reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. <laughs> right. Well, Joe, I think that nicely wraps up our episode now. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Jeff. This has been Kaiju Curry House, and as always, keep it Kaiju, folks. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us at the Curry House today. We hope we've given you enough Kaiju goodness to last until next time. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Curry Kaiju. If you want to join us on Facebook, we're at UK Kaiju. And if you want to find out about other shows in the network, please visit heroespodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I thought that was your that's sound my grandfather clock. Oh, that's a grandfather oh, clock. I thought maybe your show opened. That's what I suddenly thought you had a soundboard. I was like, oh, wow. It's the BBC. <laughs> God damn it, Jeff. There was me wondering what the outtake is going to be. We've already started with an outtake. Oh, they, we're on fire today. Thank you.